0: on finances. We are now beginning uh, a new series and uh, our last series was on things that we really need to say. Full disclosure, there's things that we need to hear from one another and the two things that I emphasized was, hey, I'm different. God has changed me. He is rearranging my life and I want that to show and we talked about how baptism is is a wonderful mechanism, a means to show that. Again, if you haven't been baptized, you're considering baptism, please talk to me because we would like to do that before the end of the year if if it's uh, okay with you. Um, Our leadership team was here last Sunday while our brothers and sisters from Rivercrest gathered in the afternoon to use our baptistry and they baptized two people and uh, it had a distinct African flavor to it and there was a lot of singing and they were handing out flowers. It was really cool. And um, our leadership team, we just stopped what we were doing in our meeting and we walked out and we joined them and we kind of sang and we tried to clap uh, along with them. Their clapping is really complicated and um, wow. Our leadership team, we may have some wisdom, we have no rhythm. (laughs) And then I talked about how the next thing we want to hear is I'm in. We want people to identify to to be able to say, what this church is doing, I'm going to commit to that. And membership is a beautiful way to do that. And so in the next, uh, or this Saturday, we're having a membership class. And you may not be a member, you just want to know more. You may already be a member and you go, hey, I just want to hear what people coming in are hearing. And uh, you're welcome to join us and get those materials and... And uh, when we bring more people in the membership, they come up here to the front and they stand in the front. They answer questions. We want to know that Jesus has changed their life. We want to hear them say, I'm different. We want to know that, that they're committed to our church. We can count on them. And that's how we say, I'm in. Well, then, you might be tempted to think that's it. You know, if I've been baptized and I've joined the church, I've arrived. I'm done. I'm all good with God and Yet we know that as long as you're drawing breath, you're not done. (laughs) And so I want to talk in this series over the next four weeks about the next steps and what your next step might be. And I'm going to offer some advice on that. I'm going to offer some direction that I think would help you as it's helped me and helped some of you already. So here's where we're going to go. You see, I believe that I'm forgiven but what now? I believe that God has been working in my life, and I believe that he is changing and transforming me, and not just to take away my sins, but now I'm freed from that, and I, I, I am changing, and I am becoming more like Christ. But what do I do now? Now, for some of you, this is a question because you are, you know, you're early into this spiritual journey. You're still trying to figure these things out. Maybe you didn't grow up in the church. Perhaps... Uh, You did grow up in the church, but you were never really given this kind of guidance. For others of us, we grew up in the church and we've heard these things before, but we just kind of forget. We get lazy and we neglect some of these things in our lives. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to look at these. Today, we're going to talk about how we connect. Next week, we're going to talk about how we pray and then... The third week, we're going to talk about being purified and how we cleanse our lives of things that, that God doesn't want there. And then lastly, we're going to talk about how we share. And that's going to take a couple of different dimensions as we look at that. It's going to, we're going to talk about how we share, not just with generosity. Those of you that took your day yesterday and gave it to the Keller family, those of you that brought in food and just donated it, that's That's generosity. But then even beyond that, the, the greatest resource, the, the most powerful thing we can share with somebody else is our love of God and God's love for us and the faith that we have in him. And how do we share our faith? So that's where we're going to go with that. But today we're going to talk about connecting. And I want to look at this passage in 1 Thessalonians to guide us through here. And I really like this version, the, the the way the CEB puts it. So bear with me, I'm going to read through it. It's not very long. It's only six verses, seven verses. Um, and then we're going to go back and look at several of these verses again. So if you have your own Bible and you like to follow along, just kind of keep your finger there, keep your Bible open. First Thessalonians 5, 4 through 11. But you aren't in darkness, brothers and sisters. So the day won't catch you by surprise like a thief. All of you are children of light and children of the day. We don't belong to night or darkness. So then, let's not sleep like others. But let's stay awake and stay sober. People who sleep, sleep at night. And people who get drunk, get drunk at night. Since we belong to the day, let's stay sober Wearing faithfulness and love as a piece of armor that protects our body and the hope of salvation as a helmet. God didn't intend for us to suffer his wrath, but rather to possess salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. So continue encouraging each other and building each other up just like you're already doing. Okay, we're going to go back and we're going to unpack this a little bit, but I want to start by thinking about these two conditions that Paul sets out here as he's writing to the people in Thessalonica. And he says, you know, some people are asleep. I like the word slumber because slumber kind of has this Feeling of you know your body just completely relaxes and you're gone and you're, you're you're just not conscious to what's going on around you, and then some he says then you know some people at night they just they drink and they get drunk and they're just kind of they're smashed they're out of it if you've ever been around somebody who's really really inebriated you get the picture, and this is this is what Paul ascribes to their spiritual condition he says you know some people spiritually they're just they're just so completely relaxed and complacent, they're not even awake anymore. And some people are so caught up with other things and they're intoxicated by other things that they, they cannot apply themselves spiritually. Here's what I want you to remember. In this life, we all need some form of backup that keeps us on track and make sure when things don't go well under our responsibility that others come along and make sure that we are taken care of and can get through to the next. I want to tell you a story. I heard this saying or something similar to this years ago and I I paid a lot of attention to it. I was invited to pray at the retirement ceremony of a naval officer. And so my friend Pam uh, was retiring from a career in the Navy. She was a commander in the Navy, and you know that you don't get to be a commander in the Navy without moving up a few steps. And she gave orders to a lot of people, and she ended up at the end of her career out in Denver, Colorado, of all places. She had a naval assignment in Denver, Colorado, because she was in charge of all of the Navy recruiting for the Rocky Mountain region. So everybody who signed up to join the Navy in the Rocky Mountains came through her facility and went through people that were under her command. She called me up and she said, if you can come to Denver, I am retiring. If I were on a naval base somewhere, there would be a Navy chaplain and they would pray, but I'm not and I'm assigned to this military, it's called Military Entrance Program Command, or sorry, MEPCOM, we call it MEPCOM, some of you are familiar with that. And she said, there's not a chaplain here, but if you could come and pray, I want someone to pray at my retirement ceremony. I said, absolutely, I'll be there. So got my best suit out, put the tie on. We drove out to Denver, spent the night with Pam and Raymond in their house. And the next morning we got up and we went down to the facility where she worked and found out that on the way that this MEPCOM wasn't just for the Navy. It was for all five branches of of the armed services. And so she told us, she said, you know, when we get there, there are going to be people in the Army and the Marines and the Air Force. Unfortunately, Coast Guard, they weren't represented that day, but they're out of that building too. And so she said, at my ceremony, we're going to have every one of these branches represented somehow. And so I walked in, I had my nice suit on, freshly dry cleaned and pressed, and Kayleen walked in and she was wearing a nice dress, and we were still underdressed compared to these guys in uniform walked up to the door, and there were two Marine Corps people there, and if you want to get people's attention, you put somebody in the Marines in dress uniform out front. You've seen it, you know, the black tunic, the white hat. And we walk up, and I, you know, they're on either side of the door, and I I get within 10 feet, and they snapped a salute, and one of them says, he looked down at a hand like this, very uh, quickly, trying not to give away, he goes, are you reverend's and then he butchered my last name, and I said, yes, that's me, (laughs) yes, sir, I was like, man, these guys, and they had swords on the whole bit, you know, and yep, that's me, and I thought, how, you know, I, I know the government has a surveillance program, but, you know, here they were calling out my name, and then they said, okay, follow me, and I went through the door, and I followed this marine, and I walked in, and, you know, all of a sudden, I had incentive to stand up a little bit more, and push my chest out a little bit more, and, It didn't work, but I tried. And as we were coming in, there was Pam and her husband Raymond, and we walked in, and and standing beside Pam was this guy, and he was Army. So he was in the browns, the dress browns. And this guy, he was an African American gentleman. But believe me when I tell you that as soon as I saw this guy standing there, I thought, you know, this guy was genetically engineered to be a soldier. I mean, everything about him looked the part. He was born to be a soldier. He was tall. He was broad-shouldered. He was lean, and he stood absolutely straight. And walk, when we walked up, the Marine introduced me. Here's Reverend Smithers, and again, salutes and all this thing that I didn't know what to do with. And, you know, do the free Methodist pastors salute? And, well, how do they salute? You know, I don't know. And then as we were getting ready to go into the ceremony, Pam got a little emotional. This is it. Her career in the Navy is over. And this strong, young soldier who had rank, he had lots of stripes on his arm, walked up to her and he said, Commander Forbes. And I turned and I listened. He said, Commander Forbes, I've got your back. I've got your back. And with that, she stood up a little bit straight and said, all right, let's go in and do this. And you know what I thought in that moment? I wanted to walk over and tap on the shoulder. Will you have my back, too? (laughs) Because that sounds really, really nice. (laughs) I mean, wherever I go, would you just follow me around and make sure that I'm okay? I've got your back. Here's the thing, we all need that. We all need people who stand near us that when uncertainty comes our way, when emotions overwhelm us, when things we never expected come out of left field and hit us in the face, we all need someone standing nearby that very quietly but confidently says, we're your backup. We have you. You're not alone. You're okay. We all need that. I want you to remember that because as we look at this passage in Thessalonians to me it's as though Paul as he's writing to that church in Thessalonica says you know what make sure you have each other's back. In verse 6 he gives this caution. So then don't let's so then let's not sleep like the others but let's stay awake and stay sober. And he he notices these things, these spiritual conditions where people become complacent or they become distracted and they become invested in other things that take us away from God. And Paul says, let's not be like them. Let's stay on task. Let's stay alert. Let's not sleep or slumber. Or sorry, let's not slumber or give up our sobriety and get smashed here. So you've probably seen videos like this guy. They've been on the news lately, and uh, it kind of got my attention. This guy's driving a Tesla. I can tell by the door handles, and the reason I can tell is my friend Rob just made a trip from the northwest and came through Kansas, and he drives a brand new Tesla, and he took us for a ride, and it's amazing. If you get a chance to ride in one of those cars, it's like, riding, it's like driving a computer. And my friend Rob's Tesla has all the bells and whistles. He, he got all the the options, and one of the options is this autopilot. They actually call it autopilot. It's assisted driving, and so he can get out on the interst- interstate and hit a button, autopilot, and take his hands off the wheel. It'll keep him in the lane. It'll actually overtake cars that are going slower in front of him. And then recently Rob posted a, a video on Facebook and. They did a little update with this, what they call summons. And from your cell phone, you can summon your car and it'll pull out of the parking lot without you in it. And then, of course, there's these other videos. Now, people have tried this and their cars ran into various and sundry other things in the way. But you've probably seen this because this has been on the news a lot where people are in their Teslas with this autopilot on and they're doing other things. They're reading books or this guy's sleeping And so this meme was just wake up, dude. Here's the thing. This is in a car that's been incredibly engineered to make driving about as easy as possible so easy that it's possible to fall asleep and not know that you're in danger. And you can go on and Google this online and you can see where these Teslas have piled into the back of semis and things like that because people were on autopilot and doing this. Now, Tesla themselves says, don't do this. Tesla themselves says, do not sleep and remain sober. (laughs) But even so, people do these things. And there's a a video I was going to show, but it's a little bit long. It's hilarious, though. There's a couple in one of these Teslas, and this couple said, we're going to show you how this works. And they Start out and then the next thing you know, they're eating hamburgers and nobody's got their hands on the wheel. And then they're dancing, little dances in their seat. And then pretty soon they get out lightsabers and they're having a lightsaber fight. And you can see the cars going by them. They're going down the road. And I'm sure they were rather controlled making this funny little video. But nevertheless, the idea that we live in a day and age where we can just take our eyes off and we can sleep. And we can invest ourselves in things that distract us and take us away from the Lord. And it's okay because the world is designed to protect us. That is a lie. That is a lie. And it's a lie that seduces us and allows us to say, you don't have to pay attention to God. And you don't have to be invested in God. Just be a good person. And you'll go to heaven. Yeah, we've all heard those things. But we know that's not what Scripture says. That's not what Paul says to the people in Thessalonica. So he says, wake up. So here's this thing. If you're doing this, if you are driving this Tesla and you decide to go to sleep, you are either being ignorant or incredibly irresponsible. You haven't seen the news reports about what other people have done and just choosing to take inappropriate risks. Or you're so tired you're just not paying attention to go to sleep. Now some of us have fallen asleep behind the wheel and there is no autopilot. And that's no fun. Either way, if we are in a spiritual condition of ignorance or a spiritual condition of, of irresponsibility, others are going to get hurt. You ever notice that? Another lie that the world tries to tell us is we can do these things. We can do them in isolation. We can do them behind closed doors. We can do them in our bedroom, and they don't affect anyone else. And that is not true, ever. If they are things that displease God, they are things that hurt you and hurt people around you, always. And it may not seem like it in the immediate... But it is always true. I like to quote my friend Mark Van Valen likes to say, sin will always take you farther than you think it will and cost you more than you think it should. Always. And so here's the thing. We live in this world of people who think, I can straighten it out on my deathbed or I can balance the books and do enough good things to offset the bad and the ignorant and the irresponsible things I've done. And Paul says, no. We are people that are wired different. And our hearts are set on things above, and so we act and we invest our lives differently. He goes on to say this, actually, a verse back. All of you are children of light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night or darkness. I like this this is a word of hope to me and it's a word of hope to you because if you're sitting here going, my life is defined by darkness right now. You don't belong there and you don't have to stay there. That is not what you were made for and that is not where God wants you and he'll empower you to go into a different place, a better place than that. We who love Jesus are children of light and children of day. So for the people of the day, we're people who live in the light. And at another point, one of the other writers of the New Testament said, "Those who walk in the light and remain in the light are children of God." And it's it's sort of this synonymous thing. What comes first, the light or forgiveness, or forgiveness or the light? And you just I, I kind of get to a point where I go, I don't think it really matters. When we are people who live in the reflection of Jesus Christ, our way is illuminated. Our way lights up. Have any of you been to these new Walmarts and supermarkets where the, the lights in the freezer cases go off? Isn't that weird? Okay, the first time I went down one of these aisles, it kind of freaked me out. And I was walking down the aisle probably to pick up some ice cream. Don't judge me. <laughs> oh i am sorry to disappoint you my friend <laughs> and i'm walking down the aisle here with the freezer cases and as i'm walking by I, I just assumed there were no lights in these freezer cases but you've been there you walk by and all of a sudden these motion detectors notice you're there and the freezer cases light up like hey i'm here and I, you know you walk a little bit farther and then another light comes on and another light comes on and then then you feel a little bit self-conscious right and then I don't want to move because the light is on me. But you know, it's not dissimilar for us in, in our spiritual lives because if Christ is in us, as if his Holy Spirit is in us, wherever we go, it is illuminated. We shine the light of Jesus. And because there is light, it brings attention to things that other people will miss. We are people who are awake and are sober, and by sober, We can take that in all kinds of different ways, but we're awake and so our attention is there and we're sober so we're aware of things that other people would miss. There is a condition that happens in our lives when the Holy Spirit is inside of us. He alerts us and allows us to understand dimensions that the rest of the world won't get. I cannot explain it. I know it sounds weird, But some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are times when perhaps it's just a sense of discernment, and you go, I don't feel good about this. I'm not sure why, but I am not at peace with this. And I'm just sitting here going, wow, maybe the light just came on in the freezer case. And the Lord is illuminating, and we are seeing something that the rest of the world would not miss. That those who don't know the Holy Spirit wouldn't catch. And maybe it's not a sense of discomfort or being, uh, uh, not being at peace with the Lord, but instead, perhaps, it's that we notice things that other people would walk by. Years ago, I was on a beach in Southern California with my cousins. And it was kind of an overcast day. It wasn't the kind of day you'd choose to go to the beach, but it was the only day we had. And we went there to the beach, and, and I was enjoying this, you know, spending most of my life in Kansas these days, To be there and to hear the surf and to smell the salty air, it was just great. And I was just completely engrossed in this environment. And my cousin's husband was sitting across from me. We were sitting at a picnic table and and he was watching something else completely. And I was just, I was watching the waves come in and the seagulls and, oh man, it's so great to be here. And Doug was sitting across from me, and pretty soon he says, uh, here he comes. And, and I just realized I've, I've missed something completely that he's been paying attention to. And here was a homeless guy who had been walking down the beach, and Doug had been watching him, and, and he started walking toward us. You see, we had a whole picnic table laid out with a lunch, and uh, we had prepared for this, and we had all this food, and we had some games to play and this guy started walking toward us. And Doug goes, here he comes. Doug's a great guy. And he's a man of deep faith and it's a terrific pastor out there in California. And so Doug got up and I'm still going, who's he and what significance is that to me? But Doug got up and walked over and he said, hey friend, how you doing? And the homeless guy said, well, you know, times are hard and Pretty soon, Doug had had a few sentences of conversation and brought him over, and he sat down at the table, and he ate with us. And I have to tell you that at first, I was like, you know, I was sitting here enjoying a, 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 a great experience being here at the beach. This Kansas kid gets to enjoy this for once, and I got distracted by you. And I, I, you know, you got up and went and talked to this guy and brought him over, and I was listening to seagulls and the surf and... Now you know I 'm not, and he took me out of the moment, but I think that I was the one in retrospect that was distracted. I was distracted by the experience I was in. I was intoxicated by the environment, but Doug was watching this guy, and as the guy walked closer, he was ready, and he got up and he engaged him, and he said, "Come on, sit down with us. you can have a meal with us. we've got plenty of food here." And I was not. My heart and my mind were elsewhere. And as we sat there, it checked my spirit. I'm sitting here enjoying this. And I'm not willing to share that enjoyment with a stranger. I don't know what your experience is with being distracted, intoxicated on other things, But I'm sure somehow you can identify with that. That other people were paying attention and seized a moment for the Lord when we were not watching. You see, when we're aware, we're also able. When we're aware, we're also prepared to do these things for God. When we're paying attention, we look like we're smarter just because we noticed what was coming. There's this this weird little verse in the Old Testament. There was a time when they were gathering the tribes of Israel because they were trying to make decisions about who was going to lead, and they're gathering these tribes. And and there's one little group. It's a subset of one tribe. It's not even an entire tribe of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And there's one subset, and it says this about them. And it's just this phrase. And it says, and then there were the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what they meant. Isn't that cool? I wonder if there's a a chance that people might look back and go, and then there was Northwest Free Methodist Church who understood where they were and what was needed. Oh man, I pray that's us. I ask God to let that be us. We go on in verse 11. Paul says this, so continue encouraging each other, building each other up, just like you are doing already. So I want to suggest to you that if I were driving down the interstate and there was that guy in the Tesla, that I would probably take some kind of action. It would probably start with something like honking my horn and, you know, can I wake him up? And if that didn't happen, then it would probably be my cell phone next to 911. There's a guy that's fast asleep. Not because I want him to get arrested or go to jail or get a fine, but I really don't want him to kill me. Or you. And so here's the thing. As we fall into these places, when we become tired, when we become distracted, when we become wounded, we need somebody like that soldier who says, I've got your back. I will make sure that when your eyes are not on the mission, mine are. And in this, I think the key to all this is encouragement. Let me, let me just go back for a second. This is what Paul says at the end of this little passage. He says, so continue encouraging other, each other and building each other up. Paul does not say, so when you see somebody sleeping or drunk, smack them around. He doesn't say, throw them out. Kick them. He says, no, continue encouraging each other and building each other up. Is that not encouraging in itself? And to me, to have you beside me saying, Pastor, if you miss it, if you drop the ball, there are others of us standing around that will pick it up. I was joking yesterday. We, we had a lot on our minds this weekend, didn't we? I was joking with a couple of you yesterday because somebody asked me about something and I said, Oh my goodness, I just forgot. And that was one of those things that that went in and never stuck and went on out of my brain. And in that moment, at first there was just this moment of, oh my goodness, I forgot all about it. And then realized that somebody else picked it up and took care of it. And in that moment, as I was thinking about this message, I thought, you know, they had my back. I could have looked irresponsible. I could have looked distracted. But instead it's taken care of and only they and I knew about it. And if you know who you are, thanks, and let's just keep it to ourselves. (laughs) And there's a thousand ways that can happen around here. And yet we cover for each other. You know, last week someone was sick when they were supposed to be helping with the kids, and others just stepped up on Wednesday night and made sure the kids had fun. And it was crazy, but there were people to cover. I pray that we encourage one another with our presence and our attention. When I look at the word encouragement, uh, I, I've thought about this over the years quite a bit, and I'm going to close with this, but uh, a friend of mine in college came to me, and she said, you know, I've been watching you, and I've observed something about you, and I was worried because I thought she was going to say, you know, you have this facial tick or, um, you know, there's something that's really unpleasant and... <laughs> She didn't. She said, I've been watching you and I've noticed the way you interact with people. And she said, Hink, you have a tendency to really want to encourage everybody. And I never thought about it that way before. And after that, it made me want to encourage each other, uh, other people even more. And so I've thought about this word as she spoke that into my life, that blessing. And as I think about this, if you break down the word encouragement, the root of the word is courage. And I notice that in our world, particularly for us as believers, the one thing that will defeat us, I believe, more often than anything else is our lack of courage. We're not defeated because Jesus isn't able, because God somehow doesn't want to or can't. We're not defeated because we don't have the ability, because God is able to make those things up in ways that we can't even explain. But most often we're defeated because we don't have the courage to trust God and do it. To trust God and step out. And so one of the things that I believe us, for us as a church that is most important is that we build each other's courage. So when you're facing those hard times at work or at home or at school, there are people who go, you can do this. You are not alone. God is with you. And not only do I have your back, so does he. He. I've got to tell you, if that guy, if that soldier happened to come into my life again and and start attending our church and become my friend, I'd take him everywhere with me. Because I'd love to have that reminder that you cannot mess with me without involving him. But you know, I want each of us to have this incredible reminder that no one can mess with us without involving Almighty God. And there is no soldier that has the power he does. But here's the thing. I would take him with me everywhere because my memory is so short. And I have a tendency to forget, even from moment to moment, that God stands with me and I need that reminder. I need that daily, if not momentary, Reminder that wherever I go, the power of God goes with me. Wherever you go, the power of God goes with you. And there is nothing that we will face where we need to face discouragement alone. I have your back. Band, come up and let's sing in closing.